This morning we conclude our little series in the Psalter, so I invite you to turn with me once again to the book of Psalms. Psalm 146. 146. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can follow along in the insert found in your bulletin. Uh, The entirety of the psalm, which is not very long, is, is there as usual. As I said, this is the fifth and final week of this mini-series called Pilgrim Songs, and I hope that you have benefited uh, from this little diversion into uh, Hebrew poetry. I've certainly enjoyed, as I always do, returning to the Psalter again and again over the years that I've been here. Uh, I certainly have enjoyed the month that we have spent here. Well, we haven't looked at the full diversity of Uh, The Psalms, there just hasn't been time to see all of the beauty of the Psalter. We have looked at several different kinds of Psalms. We began with a Psalm of confidence in Psalm 27 with a little bit of lament crying out to the Lord in distress. We moved on to a Psalm of thanksgiving and then a Psalm that was uh, what we would call a historical Psalm. That recounted all of Israel's history for the sake of remembering. Well, today we turn to a genre of psalm that is probably the one that we most think of when we think about the psalms, when we think about the Psalter. Psalm 146 is a psalm of praise. And indeed, there is no denying that this theme of praise is dominant throughout the book of Psalms. In fact, we could say that over the course of the entire Psalter, there is a movement from lament to praise. And so as we turn to Psalm 146, there is this this crescendo of praise, particularly in these last five Psalms, Psalm 146 through the end, Psalm 100. And 50. And of course, you'll notice as you look down, I guess I better turn there. As you look down at Psalm 146, you'll see that right off the bat, it begins with the, the phrase, praise the Lord. And the end of the psalm is the phrase, praise the Lord. They call that in Hebrew poetry an inclusio. It bookends the psalm, and and this is the theme of what we are going to be exploring this morning, praising the Lord. So as God's people did in the time of, of Ezra when God's law was read, out of a posture of reverence, out of a posture of readiness, I would invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 146, listen as I read it. Psalm 146, verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 
who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. One exhortation this morning as we dive right in. One exhortation that we're going to build off and use to work through this psalm together, and it's this. You are called to a hallelujah life. You are called to a hallelujah life. Now, I recognize that that sounds kind of funny. It sounds kind of odd, which is why I like it. Because I want it to stick. I want you to remember it. Hallelujah. It's the first and last word of this psalm. It's a Hebrew word. It's a compound word. You don't see it, at least not in our English standard version that's in the bulletin and that I read. But Hallel, meaning praise, and Yah, a shortened form of Yahweh, those are communicated to us into English by praise the Lord. The Lord being all capital letters. It's a word that we hear a lot of, probably too much of these days. Hallelujah. After all, many of us say hallelujah in a variety of settings in which we really aren't interested or intending to praise the Lord. And others say hallelujah when they actually despise the God that they are addressing. The abuse of that word is really not all that new. Actually, I was reading this week in Charles Spurgeon's Treasury of David, his commentary on the Psalms. And way back in the 19th century, he wrote this, It is saddening to remember how this majestic word has been trailed in the mire of late. Its irreverent use is an aggravated instance of taking the name of our God in vain. So when we say hallelujah, when we say praise the Lord, we better know what we're doing. We better know what we're saying. The psalmist knows. The writer of Psalm 146 knows. And so he declares hallelujah. And then he says to his own heart, he does a little soul talk. We know what that's about. He does a little soul talk. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And then he declares it again, I will sing praises to my God. And then he spends the rest of the psalm inviting us, inviting God's people, first God's Old Testament people, Israel, and now us here, God's new covenant people, to praise the Lord. 
And so I want to spend our time together for the next few minutes talking about this notion of praising the Lord, this notion of a hallelujah life. I know that I've talked about praising the Lord recently. I quoted C.S. Lewis. I talked about how we are creatures that praise, right? We praise everything. We're made to do that. And so much of our praise is misplaced. But what exactly does praise look like? What, what is the, what's the substance of of hallelujah. That's what I want to think about this morning with us, with you. What does a hallelujah life look like? Well, that's where this psalm and the rest of Scripture, I think, gives us some tracks to run on. It doesn't say everything, but what it says is beautiful and is good. And so, yes, there's one exhortation, kids. You are called to a hallelujah life. But there's three little subpoints underneath that exhortation as we define what a hallelujah life that is. And the first is this a hallelujah life is one of overflowing song. Song. There's no doubt that's the most obvious thing that comes to mind, right? When we think about praising the Lord. When we think about the word hallelujah, we think about song through the gift of lyric and note and melody and chord, instrument or not. We acknowledge who God is. We give thanks for what he has done and we seek to magnify his name through song. Now maybe you're sitting there and you say, well, Nate, I know that you love music and, and you can you can hold a note. You like to sing, so of course you're going to say that. I'm not saying that. Verse 1 says that I will sing praises to my God. Now, I get it that for some of you, singing is uh, it's not that great of a thing, right? You struggle to hold a note. You don't really listen to music. You're more an NPR person or whatever in the car. But you need to be reminded this morning that you're not going to get away from singing. As a member of God's people, as a member of God's church, as an image bearer of the Creator, you are made to sing. You are made to praise God through song. Why? Because our God is a singing God. Zephaniah 3. Because he has made this creation to sing to him. And if we don't sing, the rocks will cry out in praise to the one who made them. And so his creativity, his beauty is first and foremost meant to be expressed through song. Think about it. Every culture sings. Every person on this planet is moved or can be moved in some way by music. Keith and Kristen Getty, we sang one of their songs, The Power of the Cross. They wrote a little book called Sing. It's a great little book if you ever pick it up. But they say in that book, they say this, I quote, have you ever wondered why we sing our national anthems and we don't just recite the lyrics? 
Or why, as children, we learn our alphabet in rhyming songs rather than simply as a series of monotone spoken sounds. It's because God made us to be powerfully engaged in our senses and our memories by music. A hallelujah, life is one of singing. It's one of song. You can't sing? Well, you need to read the newsletter article on the cover of this week's newsletter because it will encourage you. Your voice, it says, may not be of professional standard, but it is of confessional standard. The Lord wants you to sing. You are called to sing in a world that fills our ears and our minds with so many different loves, so many false loves. Overflowing song is a necessary part of our lives. And so it's good that you're here. It's good that you're communing with one another through song. That you're communicating with the Lord through singing. But of course, it doesn't need to only happen here, though it must happen here. It can happen anywhere. Praise the Lord through overflowing song. Now, that's the most obvious, the one that really doesn't need to be dug into a whole lot. So, let's move on to a second aspect of a hallelujah life. A hallelujah life is not only one of overflowing song, but a hallelujah life is one of trust. Trust. Hugh Jackman Millie Bobby Brown, Donald Trump, Oprah, Jeff Bezos, Prince Harry, Justin Trudeau, Kevin Durant, J.J. Watt, and Rihanna. What do all of those people have in common? They are all on times 100 most influential people in the world of 2000 and 18. Now, whether you agree with that list or not, you'll admit that the pull to the powerful, the pull to the movers and shakers of our world is very real. How many bestsellers has Oprah Winfrey created just by saying she loves this book? Here in the U.S., the political season is beginning, ugh, all too early, right? Saviors, lowercase s, saviors are coming out of the woodwork. They're promising us a a better life, a positive change. They're going to fix what ails our environment They're going to prosper our economy. They're going to curb the violence of extremists. They're going to save our nation. And the psalmist this morning sets out to remind our hearts, because our heads know it already, but to remind our hearts through this song that Trump 
and Pelosi and the Supreme Court and the laws of our land and even the very existence of the United States of America is not where our trust lies. They all are mere drops in the ocean of Yahweh's immensity. Verse 3 is a warning. It's a warning about where our hearts so easily go. Put not your trust in princes. Now, we're not talking specifically about Harry. We're talking about anybody who's powerful, anybody who's influential. Don't put your trust is there, in the, there because there is ultimately no help there. You need a better king. And for that matter, you need a better kingdom. What I mean by that is this. I'm all for patriotism. After all, I am the son of a retired lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. I'm patriotic. I recognize and I give thanks for the gift of this nation to this planet at this time and place in history. But brothers and sisters, I am not panicking if America fails, if America falls, because Yahweh reigns and Yahweh will be here long after the U.S. is gone. There's a word play in Hebrew in verses 3 and 4 between the word man and earth in your English translation. It's one born out of Genesis 3 where the Lord tells Adam that he will return to the ground from which he was taken. Man is Adam in Hebrew. Earth is Adama in Hebrew. So there's this play on words. Man, earth, dust. Think of it in terms of a temporary thing. As man is destined for the ground, so are any plans that he puts together. Are they helpful for a time? Absolutely. Should we pray for their success? I just did that. Do I want this country to succeed, excuse me, to succeed for the sake of my children? Absolutely. For the sake of the gospel? Absolutely. But our trust is not there. Don't get all bent around the axle about politics. Be a responsible citizen and then praise the Lord. The psalmist's point is that they must be kept in their proper place, the helper behind the help that God has instituted, the state, must be acknowledged and leaned upon. And he explicitly is going to declare who this helper is. He is Yahweh. The covenant-keeping God, the God of Jacob, verse 5, the God who entered into history, who chose a people for himself, a people that needed to be reminded again and again that he was enough, that he was sufficient, that a life of praise is a life of trust. Psalm 118, verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Jeremiah 17, 5, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, He's who heart, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And there's, there's the crux of it all. We turn away from confidence and peace 
in our sovereign God over all things, and we turn to anxiety, we turn to despair. And the psalmist is going to remind you, he wants to remind you that that isn't the way. And so, and so he does this, he provides us with this landslide of statements about who Yahweh is, verses 7 and on. The Lord is the creator, verse 6. He made heaven and earth. He made the scary sea, which remember to the ancient mind was, was terrifying. The sea was a place of chaos. The sea is still a scary place. We're still discovering things at the bottom of that sea. And the Lord knows them all, the psalmist says. He's the creator. He's the covenant keeper, verse 6. He has bound himself to a people, and he's not finicky in the least bit. No, he is faithful. And then lastly, he is the redeemer, verses 7 through nine. Who is the Lord God of Jacob? He's the creator. He is the covenant keeper. He is the redeemer. And verses seven through nine is where we really see once again the heart of God, where this unlimited power has reached down into the lowest and darkest of places justice and freedom and sight for the oppressed, for the hungry, for the orphaned, for the widow, for all those who feel out of place. The Old Testament saints, the ones who originally heard this song and sung this song, they saw a glimpse of this. The psalmist experienced this as God literally fought for his people as they depended upon him for rain, as he called his people to be a refuge for the hurting. But you need to see that in this psalm, there, there is still a longing for more. There's a longing for more. There's longing for a fuller picture of this very thing, of the heart of God, the Redeemer. Turn with me for a second to Isaiah chapter 61, if you have your Bibles, just a few books forward. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. Listen as I read, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. As the prophet spoke here in Isaiah 6 of the Messiah to come, years later, as this promise lay pregnant in the life of God's people, a young Jewish man sat in a synagogue hearing these words knowing that he was called by his father 
to something extraordinary. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he, that is Jesus, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do you see it? The help of Psalm 146 by way of Isaiah 61 is found in Jesus. Through Jesus, we receive justice. He was made sin that we might not face the justice of God upon our sin, but that we might be made the righteousness of God. In him we have the food we need because he is the bread of life, the food that we can't live without. Through him, sight is given to the blind, not just when he was here on earth, although yes, he gave literal sight to the blind when he was on earth, but he has opened the eyes of all his people, of us in this room, that we might see the world and him for who he is. And through him there is freedom, the freedom spoken of in Psalm 146. His truth has set us free from slavery to sin. See, because of all these things, the Lord loves those made righteous in Jesus. So hallelujah indeed. Our praise is amplified in Jesus. Would have loved to be on the road to Emmaus as Jesus opened the scripture with those who walked and showed them, maybe from Psalm 146, that was about me. That was pointing to me. And brothers and sisters, this is the only, this being Jesus. Jesus is the only way that our hearts can be moved truly to praise. I can't just stand up here as your pastor and say, praise him. Go out of here and praise the Lord. Do it this week. Because Psalm 146 models it for us, tells us to do it. That does you no good. Overflowing song doesn't just happen no, you've got to see. You've got to marvel. You've got to be reminded again of the one, the only one who has ever truly praised the Lord as long as he has lived. The one who is truly trustworthy and faithful and offering salvation. And so a hallelujah life puts its trust in Jesus. 
the creator, the covenant keeper, the redeemer, the one who is God. A hallelujah life is one of overflowing song. It's one of trust. And then we'll close here. A hallelujah life is one that magnifies His glorious reign. I'm jumping to the end of the, the psalm in saying this, like a telescope bringing heavenly realities close to us, to the naked eye, more than a song, more than inward trust. The life of praise is one of proclamation. Listen to some other passages from God's Word. Jeremiah 33, 9, and this city shall be a name of joy. Excuse me, this city shall be to me, the Lord says, a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before the nations of the earth, who shall hear of the good that I do for them. Zechariah 9, 16, on that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. And then finally, the most familiar to all of us, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works, and that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. We don't need to align ourselves with the influential and the powerful. Our trust isn't there. That's not what Jesus did. We are the subversive yeast that works its way through the world, creating something new, creating something renewed. As Jesus' ambassadors, a hallelujah life is Micah 6.8. What we read earlier, instruments in His hands, fighting for those who can't, feeding those who are hungry, visiting those who are in prison. As I was thinking about this, I, I, I thought of a man, a dear friend of ours, the Hitchcock family in San Diego. He's a ruling elder at one of the churches there. His name's Gary. We had a couple in our congregation who they shouldn't have, but he was an American citizen. She was a illegal from Mexico, and they married. But her status didn't change. This was post 9-11 Immigration was stickier than it had ever been, and this couple was stuck. But they wanted to do the right thing, so she returned and pleaded for mercy in, at the Mexican consulate, and they said, forget it. You may not enter the United States again. And so for months upon months, this couple was separated. He in San Diego, she in Tijuana. It's a tragic situation. And they couldn't get anywhere. They had, they had no way to get anywhere. And Gary stepped in. Corporate real estate. He had connections. He knew people. And he found an immigration lawyer and he put his thumb on them and he said, you work for these people. And she worked and worked and worked. And this lawyer got the immigration status restored. She became an American citizen. She came back to San Diego. A family was reunited. A church was blessed. And justice for the oppressed was done by one of God's own. That's a hallelujah life. 
That's a hallelujah life. We can't be all things to all men. I, I couldn't do what Gary did, but we can be something to someone. More, we can be more than just our harried lives. And so my question of challenge to you this morning, maybe for community groups this week, is who might the Lord be putting in your life for you to magnify Jesus? It's an obedience of love. It's an obedience that recognizes the reign and the return of a king and a better kingdom. Brothers and sisters, this isn't abstract. This is concrete. This isn't pie in the sky. This is real life. You're called to a hallelujah life. Let's sing it. Let's trust him. Let's live it for the glory of his name. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Until then, we will praise you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm, this song, this declaration of praise to you, our great God, who is worthy of our our lives, our lips, our vocal cords, our trust. And worthy of the reordering of our days that we might reflect the one who has saved us. Holy Spirit, these are your people. This is your word. Take it, I pray. Plant it deep in their hearts. Use it as you see fit. For the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen.